Welcome to Conflict Managed. I'm your host, Mary Brown. Today on Conflict Managed, we are joined by Diane Van Buren. Diane mentors successful, growth-minded women leaders to thrive beyond midlife in their own wild happiness, and is co-author of the recent Wall Street Journal number one bestseller, Limitless. Growing up as an expat, Diane enjoyed exploring spectacular places while immersing in diverse cultures. Her background of world travels provided firsthand experiences of world treasures. While Diane earned award-winning success in her architecture career, her dissatisfaction reached a tipping point. Her success didn't bring the happiness she desired. She was restless, adrift, and yearned to regain direction to maximize her talents. Something deep within was calling her to more, and she didn't see where she could fit in. The problem she faced was how to live up to her life experiences and share her gifts with the world. Reinventing herself took stamina, focus, and discipline. Along the way, Diane earned a Master of Liberal Studies, writing about piazzas as theater. Following her heart, Diane sculpted the role for herself that didn't exist before. Since then, Diane offers programs and retreats to claim fulfilling joy that eludes those who settle, conform, and deprioritize their growth to make others comfortable. Her personal life experiences, professional training, and studies led her to write Enlightened Rome, Discover the Magic of Piazzas and Public Spaces in Rome, Italy. Diane's passion for city public spaces, award-winning design, photography, and sculpture feature in presentations, coached programs, and immersive retreats. Utilizing the transformational power of place, Diane's clients step into the greatness as they walk with the greats, experiencing world treasures. Diane's coaching empowers women leaders to evolve their leadership. Developing their authentic expression, they hone evolving leadership, legacy, life, and love. Good morning, Diane, and welcome to Conflict Managed. Thank you so much for having me, Mary. It's an honor to be with you this morning. I'm so delighted to have you here today. And with your exciting news, will you share with our listeners your brand new exciting news? Yes, I'm a co-author in a book uh, called Limitless, and it's by my mentor, Aloka Padrai. It has hit the number one Wall Street Journal bestseller slot, so we are just overjoyed. I have, uh, it's myself and 26 other co-authors, and I'm just super, super excited about this. It, we just found out late last night so it's all very fresh that is so exciting I'm so happy for you what an accomplishment well you know it's it was a wonderful kind of conception uh, again by my mentor Aloka Padrai and he believed in us and, and I was excited to get to be sharing true stories of their backgrounds and how they overcame challenges to create the lives and offer services that they do to clients now. That's fantastic. Well, let's get on to you, Diana. I want to hear about you. Can you tell us about the first job you ever had? All right. So I guess we're talking about beyond babysitting. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the first summer job I ever had was actually very idyllic. And it was at uh, in Austin. I was a student at UT going to architecture school. And it was a summer job. I was uh, renting canoes at Zilker Park right at the uh, foot of Barton Springs. And 
It was just a, a wonderful job. The, the unofficial title was also the keeper of the ducks to keep dogs kind of from getting too close to the ducks. But but that was a, a, one of the sweetest memories, I think, you know, of, of a summer. I guess I did it a couple of summers, but that was a lovely, lovely experience. What was so good about that experience? Well, actually, the setting was perfectly idyllic and people were were happy they were in a good mood and i think it was also a while i was working alone um there were interesting conversations with people too and i think you know it was i was able to put them at ease also if any of them had questions and um and they knew it was serious because I, they had to leave their driver's license with me. So they, I knew that that canoe was coming back. And uh, it was just a very, like I say, kind of an idyllic uh, summer summer job. Yeah, that sounds it sounds beautiful. It conjures up to me as so I lived in St. Louis for five years and Forest Park, this renowned beautiful park, and there's a place where you can canoe or. At least when I lived there, you could or paddle boat around and imagine that as a summer job sounds just fantastic. I love Forest Park. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, actually, I should say that growing up, uh, my father uh, took us on many summer road trips exploring our beautiful national parks. And we usually had a canoe on top of our Ford station wagon at the time. And so that's how I first learned to canoe and fell in love with just being um, on the water and that kind of activity is just um, wonderful for the soul. You know, I think it's very interesting that you bring this up and that it was one of your first jobs. And I know we'll get to this, but you talk a lot about and write about, about environment and how architecture, how the arts affect us positively. And I could just imagine you the summers being out in nature and um, the kind of job that you had with, you know, people ha having fun and being out and about and it's a treat for them and, and you're surrounded by nature. I can't help but think that um, that with your travels at, as a young person helped form you to mm -hmm. who you are today. Absolutely. Because um, yes, being in nature is always something I think that connects us, grounds us, and and uplifts us, as well as uh, the other things that my family instilled in me is just the appreciation of cultures and the arts. So from a very young age, really as early as I can remember, we were visiting indigenous sacred sites and you know, just absorbing incredible, like the the Anasazi, you know, the cliff dwellings at Mesa Verde and all of these things and generally are the kind of hallmarks of civilization. And, and it's really a testament to the skill and the reverence, I think, um, the imagination and the spirit of people that is I think as much a spiritual testament as it is to their creative um, genius is when we get to experience that and just be with it. And so those, those were all very, very formative experiences for me. 
So you went to school to be an architect. Uh, what did you do after you graduated? So after I graduated, well, I got married in Indonesia. That's where my parents were living at the time. And I married my uh, university sweetheart, who also was in architecture school with me. And we immediately moved to New York City. And I knew I wanted to be in a city where I felt like I was experiencing the world. And Manhattan is such a hub and has historically been an incredible magnet for trade and commerce. It's really quite extraordinary. And so that was what I did for the first uh, three and a half years after architecture school was um, I actually lived um, in Brooklyn Heights across the Brooklyn Bridge from Manhattan, which helped me kind of step out of the vortex and view it <laughs> kind of from, you know, across across the water and then also be able to immerse and enjoy all the hive of creative energy during, um, you know, the work, work week and all. And so uh, you worked as an architect? Yes, I, I, I worked as an architect um, in, in New York. A lot of it was remodel work or, you know, because a lot of it is built out. But we had projects as far away as Saudi Arabia for instance. So um, it was a real diverse experience uh, in working in New York. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. But I think my, probably the best experience that I ever received was here in Dallas, Texas. I had a very extraordinary mentor who I actually did a residency with, a professional residency before I graduated and then returned to Dallas to work full time in the firm of Pratt Box Henderson and James Pratt, just talk about a fearless leader and thinker. And he pushed everyone or, you know, to really up-level their expectations. And that's when I learned that as an architect and as a kind of thought leader, it is our job to educate people around us. And when we know better, we're called to do better. I love that. And I really love the image that conjured in my mind of a the fearless leader and thinker. So what does that mean to you? What did your mentor do where you would give this wonderful label of a fearless leader and thinker? Well, so we're trained in architecture to make no small plans, to be bold, and so if you're going to do something, if you're going to make a decision to do something a certain way, you do it with great intentionality and 100% commitment to that vision. And so that takes sometimes some real, uh, more than diplomacy, it takes passion to have people buy into your vision. I think that's what really makes a compelling leader is that it's uh, it must be someone with a very strong vision that people you know love and are willing and really to follow you with that vision. Absolutely. Sometimes there's this this balance. Leaders need to tightrope of this passion that I have, this vision that I have, and not being a steamroller. Right? How do you? get people on board without 
rolling over them and being dogmatic and being it's my way or the highway. I think sometimes leaders have that um, problem of, you know, follow me, but it's me you're following. So how do you, how did you see um, your mentor bridge that gap? Because I, I imagine if he was a steamroller, you wouldn't call him a fearless leader and thinker. So how did he bridge that gap? You know, I will say this, that uh, James was not afraid to ruffle feathers because his vision wasn't about him. It was for his, you know, the city or, you know, the the greater community, the good, the greater good. It, it wasn't about I'm the artist, you know, I'm the creative person and it has to be exactly this way. I mean, yes, he had very strong creative abilities and and that showed up in in the work that I got to do with him but at the same time it was not so much about him it was about the legacy that he was leaving and it was really for you know the community and for generations after him to enjoy and that was his vision I like that you know People want, and we, when you look at studies today and look at what young professionals are interested in, and even us older professionals, we don't want just a job. We want to be a part of the greater good. We want to be behind somebody with a vision that we're on board with that's leading us in that direction. And I think that that's a really good point. When the vision is broad enough and it is for something that you're interested in, the good of the community. And you see the person has passion and talent, then it's easy to get on that train and execute that plan and follow that leader. Exactly so. And, uh, you know, when you can back it up with the, your education and with your experience, then it's, it's really sometimes it's just persistence and mm-hmm. takes time for, you know, but I believe that things do all work out in time. And I just want to say that it really is because of James's character mm-hmm. that I'm sure it was something that I had to take stock of in myself because mm-hmm. I came to a point where honestly, the architecture profession was, I knew I had cramped myself into a box that while there were many wonderful projects that I got to be part of and have a hand in that was gratifying at a certain point in time I knew I had to break away from the profession but still have my hand in architecture because as you said the environment has played such a part in my life and I what I had to come to terms with was the fact that I wasn't living up to my own life experiences of living around the world and experiencing world treasures deeply and uh, it was a process it it was a real soul-searching kind of odyssey and I realized it was kind of a remembering and reclaiming of kind of a mission that I think I was born with to be very honest and it was to serve to be a leader for women and I realized how powerful world treasures are to bring us into really a kind of communication with our higher level thinking and leaders need this 
so this is what's allowed me to at the same time be a creative and and share with people the deep richness of experiencing very powerful and genius kinds of environments to be able to extract for themselves is more than just appreciating the beauty that there is and there's plenty there to appreciate it's also to connect and say what is this experience teaching me about myself how can i be present how can i listen and how can i unfold in my heart and into my brain what my next great small step is my next best step to open to my greatness as a leader i love that for many reasons there's so many things that you've just said that i would like to talk about but i think that we pay so little attention at least in american culture to our surroundings to culture itself to what the arts can bring us and we see that when people only talk about stem education now sometimes steam education but this focus on let's eliminate choir and let's eliminate art class and let's eliminate all of these things for children so that they can do math and science because that's what we need for the future which as we look at all the great scientists and all the great leaders they are creative that's what breeds innovation not just the hard skills, but as you were talking about, the immersion of being in something greater than yourself, being around masterpieces and being a, a surrounded and having these monuments and monumental pieces of culture in different cultures, what they can do for us personally and professionally. And I love that what you see as part of your mission at to put leaders in a position to have these experiences so that they can be better people and better leaders. Is that what you're doing? Absolutely. That is absolutely what I'm doing. I think that um, especially for women leaders, there's this sort of gap. Uh, I think we get to midlife, whatever you want to find that to be. And often we have achieved success and maybe it's a little bit like chewing the flavor out of the gum. We, we can kind of get onto autopilot because it feels like, well, this is easy, but it's really not stirring my soul the way it was because I've, I've grown so much. What is the next evolution for me? What is my heart calling me to? And sometimes we don't know. I didn't know right away. I want to provide the framework that I feel has been missing, frankly, for women so that they don't have to go through, they kind of get the, the support to really dial in to that process of self-discovery. And I think that that kind of guidance and support is incredibly powerful because I know that women have so much to offer and in many ways, I feel like our voices are kind of deemed, particularly as we age, to be somewhat less valuable. And we may not know exactly how to be heard. I think that there's a lot of kind of defaulting to ancillary activities is what I would call them, whether it's, and they're, and they're wonderful things. 
if you choose to volunteer to serve on boards of trustees or advisory boards, those are all wonderful, wonderful activities, but they're not the core of the life. And I think that this is what I'm framing for women because I think that the default is a terrible thing to become uh, or even to perceive that you're kind of falling into irrelevance. When we're at the peak of our wisdom and experience, we're called to more, actually. And that's what I'm encouraging women leaders to do with me. I really appreciate that work. Because when you think about women at midlife, and you think about the extra work besides the work life, right? So you're still probably raising kids, helping them transition. You are now helping your elderly parents or family members you so there's all of that sort of emotional labor that has to that is going on there are so many demands and when you get to a certain place in your career you're supposed to mentor and you are supposed to be on boards and give back in that way but as you said but then where am I in all of this where is my continued development how do you have time to develop when you're you don't have time to breathe let alone all the distractions and all the noise of our culture. And I spend way too much time on my phone because it's an easy little escape. But anytime you're escaping, that that's a note that something's not right. Right. And I think a lot of the issue goes to the fact that we're very, very conditioned to be in our head and to solve things from our head. And our brains are wonderful, wonderful things. They're, they're the best computer that could ever be. But they're exactly that. Uh, and they're designed to keep us safe. They're designed to keep us in the known. And it's wonderful to, to serve the younger leaders that are coming up. I just want young girls and women to know that their life can and ought to be one that's very heart-centered and thriving with challenges that you choose for yourself simply because it brings you joy all of your life. That kind of growth mindset is something that often can get kind of shunted aside, like we think, oh, we're being selfish, when actually it's your sacred duty you know, you have a little bit more quiet time and you kind of sense the sort of niggly feeling somewhere deep within you that, you know, we can just default to comfort. Comfort is a very powerful kind of some subconscious motivator to just stay the course and stay the course. But this is what being a creative is about and what the arts are about. They challenge us to grow. They connect us to our spirit. And to me, every leader is an artist. So in a way, I'm inviting women leaders to open to their inner artist, to challenge themselves, to connect to their hearts, to see what their next greatest adventure will be. You know, when I think about, you said the word joy, and in my mind, I thought the joyful leader versus the joyless leader. And when somebody is filled with joy, then they are just going to be more efficient. They're going to be more receptive. 
They're going to be paying attention to the people around them. They'll pay attention to trends. They'll pay attention to their own intellectual development. They'll pay attention to their um, emotional health. When you're filled with joy, these, to me, it seems like they're naturally follow from when the joy has been sucked out of you. There's bleakness. It's very hard to deal with anybody else's issues at work because you're not dealing with your own. It's hard to grow. It's hard to plan for the future. It's hard to, to do anything other than that's the way we always did it. And so, Diane, I see, I see your vision of, you know, when we think about professional development, so many times we think it's, I did this seminar so I can tie this knot better. And that makes me a better leader. But when I go on a walk, I mean, so I've written a bunch of books, a bunch of young adult books, and my best thought work was when I was out walking in nature in the cool of the morning. Thank you. And I would stop and I would pull out my phone and say, this is what happens next. Like I, I couldn't figure it out. So I stopped thinking about it and I just let go. And then it came to me. Mary, I love that. That's exactly, exactly right. I write in my book, Enlightened Rome, that so many sparks of genius happen when we go off agenda, right? You just let go. You, you do all the research. It's not that you don't use your brain. Of course you do. It carries you to a certain point. And then you give yourself the gift of this kind of expansiveness, this space, and to allow higher level thinking. And, and that's exactly um, what happens often. People say, well, it happens in the shower and it can happen anywhere, but it's, you kind of just let go of, let's get to the solution. You release that. And that's when the genius uh, really happens. I wanted to say something, too, about you mentioned the joy and being a leader. That It's interesting because it brings to mind a couple of sayings. One of them is that uh, joyful people are successful people, which I completely believe. And I do believe that success is kind of an effect of being joyful and sharing your joy in the world. Now, there's another, I don't know if it's a saying, but I think it's more of a belief that we have, and particularly this country, that if you're successful, you'll be happy. And what that does is, is it kind of really disconnects us from our heart right at the get-go when it's the most important. It conditions us to look at what is the income that I could expect if I choose a particular vocation because let me see, I'm good at this. So where do my talents best fit in? And this is kind of, it, while that can provide a great foundation to get you to a certain point, success and happiness are at best peripherally related. One does not ensure the other. And we all know that there are people who are successful and miserable. So that was kind of really the point I was getting at and the point that I reached and what I learned. And again, this is, I had to, I had to be able to see my own conditioning, which is not easy to do. I had to learn that the answers weren't outside of me. The answers were inside of me. And that's what I challenge and encourage women leaders to really go within and that's what they get to experience when they work with me 
I also agree. So my field is conflict management, workplace conflict management. And time and time again, myself included, I expect to be rescued. I've got this problem, leader, organization, see my trauma, see this problem. It's so clear, fix it. But that's wrongheaded. It always starts with me. If I have a problem, I'm the one that moves forward in the solution. Now I can find partners and I can, but it starts with me and the way that I think about it and what is it that I want and what am I going to accept? What kind of treatment am I going to accept and why? But it it is all, as you said, we can't control like the Stoics say, we can't control what's going on outside of us, but we can control how we respond. And that is freedom. And it's also, as you said, I think freedom to define success. I feel, so I've changed careers. I'm in this new career and I see the trajectory and I, I, I think I'm on an upward trajectory and I, I envision what a success in this field is going to look like. And I envision how it's going to feel. And yet I have a picture of my family right over here. And I think if this all goes away, well, I really believe in what I'm doing and it does matter to me. And I, I do want to be financially and all these other kinds of measures of success. But for me, I am successful. I There is nothing more that I want than my family. I mean, that is the, for me, and that's not for everyone, that for me is my measure of success. And so that informs how much time and resources I'm going to pour into my business success. But it's all coming from what is it that I want? And a restock of what am I envisioning for myself? And so what you do for women, giving them the space to really take stock and say, the world is not happening to me. I'm happening to the world. I get to decide what it is that I want and what I think is valuable. And I just absolutely believe that the arts great architecture, great design, music, you know, philosophy and science will get you so far, but music and the arts, they have a kind of language that we can't articulate, but it's so powerful. I mean, a song, we think about a song. If I don't know how to express myself, I might say to somebody, listen to the song. And if they listen and nod, it's like, we understand and it's deeper than the words. The wor words are powerful. I believe in argumentation, but there's something deeper and it's the arts and that you are setting experiences for people to have human experiences, the best kind, as you mentioned, culture. That's amazing. Congratulations to you. That's, mm. that's a wonderful service. Oh, thank you so, so much, Mary. I, I love what you've reflected to me, and yes, so, so much of the of the world's treasures and travels require us to be just quiet and present and not rushing. I think that a lot of times uh, we rob ourselves of what's most pre precious in life with our rushing around. And yes, I do want to absolutely acknowledge women who feel successful and fulfilled. That's really what I'm getting at in the work that I do with women leaders is to offer fulfillment. I'm not saying 
you know, women are leaders as mothers when they choose to to have a family. And I certainly experienced that very, very powerfully and am really proud of that. I feel like for me, that was like a, a long chapter in my life. And then I had to, you know, breathe and and really go within and, and look and answer the question, what's next for me? And I just think that in a kind of way that we expect a young child to enjoy the benefits of preschool, kindergarten, whatever school you choose, or, or homeschooling, I think that women from midlife and beyond deserve and owe it to themselves to find the framework that's best for them. And it, it certainly doesn't have to be with me, but I also think that, that this is something that's a great, great opportunity because very often we're at a stage in our life when we have time affluence and more resources than perhaps earlier times in our life and a more more space in terms of just who we get to choose to show up as in the world. It's not to take away from me a wonderful mother and having those kinds of just incredible experiences. We just get to keep adding to who we are. It's like layers or we sculpt ourselves into the leaders that we choose to be. Oh, I love that. Keep on adding to who we are and sculpting. And I was also thinking about, we think about leadership. One of the most valuable assets of a leader is being reflective. I've met leaders who say the right things about leadership, and I believe they believe those things. And then I talk to the people they lead, and it's there's a disconnect. You know, if nobody tells us, right, we can't be mind readers, how do we find that? Well, we need intentionality and reflection. And that many times means being taken out of the everyday, being put in a different environment. And since we are embodied creatures and our surroundings really do affect us and they are clues and cues as to what is good, what is important, what is possible, being able to have that time as a, as a leader, as a thought leader to reflect in a beautiful place, in a place of culture, seeing wonders of the world. I mean, almost like it's like a fast track in a way, not that it needs to be, but of that intentionality and that reflection to move forward. Absolutely. I love that you use that term intentionality. It's It has so much more ease and openness to it than say a word like expectation or a goal. I think particularly as women, we do our utmost and often overextend ourselves and get on the track to burnout when really what we most need and our soul is yearning for and oftentimes our body is trying to tell us to listen to take a beat to do just for ourselves because when we take that time and space for ourselves it ripples out to everyone it's not being selfish it is serving us so that we serve others better. I want to make a, a plug for all of the male leaders out there, which I'm sure you would agree that 
this is, these experiences are not exclusive for women. It just happens to be that that is what your mission is. And I would encourage all the male leaders that I love and that I know and that I don't know to all to do these things. Put yourself in a place where you can experience culture, that you can be a joyful leader as that will and an intentional leader because everybody will benefit. You will benefit and so will everybody else. Absolute doubt. Um, I am proud to have three brothers, been raised with three brothers. I adore my father. I raised two wonderful sons and I'm married to a fabulous husband. And I absolutely do support men in this kind of unfolding process because I think that honestly what it comes down to is we just build healthier adults, period. Diane, thank you so much for your time today. Do you have any closing thoughts? One of the last questions I always ask is, what do you see we need in order to have healthy work environments where people are not only treated with dignity and respect, but can thrive? What what do you think needs to happen in, in our workforce? So I really do believe that we need space for more creativity. Uh, I've heard time and time again that Companies will hire creatives and then shut them down. I think that very often the greatest solutions come from um, kind of either the overlapping and the nexus of different professions or organizations or institutions and kind of lose the power of that kind of synergy but because they've not been focused on or they may just be the kinds of problems that fall, seem to fall through the cracks. These, I think, are the greatest opportunities. And I think that as we have industries and containers, those boundaries need to be examined. Those are really important areas. And, and that's honestly what brought me to move from the architecture profession with its particular boundaries to study the public spaces in cities, which I believe are the very high energy, highly evolved spaces where everyone is happy, no matter their background or what their day has been like. And they're basking in this incredible splendor of architecture, the arts, and and just the people energy. These are the man-made spaces that I think illumine and enlighten us. And again, though, because we are a young country with few historic cities that are pedestrian-oriented, we often don't know what we're missing because we haven't experienced in our daily life. And our zoning doesn't particularly support that kind of space. But developers, private developers, understand the power of this. So it's not that it's completely missing. But in the public realm, we perhaps haven't made the kind of layered zoning that allows for the kind of richness that we see before zoning was even a thing in deeper, you know, cultures that have a deep, deep history that's, that are much older than ours, for, for instance. And so 
uh, to me, that's exciting because it's just opportunities for more growth and exploration. And this is the kind of creativity that our workplaces really need. I love that. It made me think of the power of the piazza, right? And exactly. many other kinds of spaces. Diane, thank you so much. And Diane, congratulations again for being on the number one Wall Street Journal bestseller list with Limitless. Thank you so, so much, Mary. This has been a marvelous conversation. And uh, I wish you every success and fulfillment and growth in the future. Same to you. Thank you, Diane. Take care. Thanks. Bye now. Thank you, Diane, so much for being on Conflict Managed. What a fun conversation. Conflict Managed is produced by third-party workplace conflict restoration services and hosted by me, Mary Brown. You can find us online at 3pconflictrestoration.com. Our music is courtesy of Dove Pilot. If you like this podcast, please share with your network so that we can have more people thinking about and working towards healthy work environments. Remember, conflict is normal and to be expected. Let's deal with it. Until next time, take care.